So bringing the attention to the here and now, just observe, you know, the state of mind you're in. Just, uh, not to criticize it, but just recognize it's like this. And that sign over there, it's like this. And so just remind just to so that you know you're you're establishing this here and now uh, practice because when we we tend like say oh water then we kind of expect something or we maybe we you know we have a reaction to just the idea of having something having a meeting or you know water whatever how these words affect you you know whether they inspire you or you feel rebellious or indifferent. It's you to. It's up to you to know. That it's like this, and so you're you're establishing this awareness around the way it is. Not, you know. So it's not, you know, not a critical. There's no, you know, you should feel a certain way, or that you should, you know, appreciate this and and or you shouldn't complain about it or you should pay attention or whatever because these are the notice the shoulds of life about how things you know we can always imagine how life should be Uh, but to really be aware of how it really is at this moment is like this and so we can you know we can uh, you know, one can be easily intimidated in monastic life through all the shoulds about, you know, the, the, the contentment, gratitude, uh, surrender, all these uh, terms we have, uh, you know, are their, their directions rather than commands. You can't command or order somebody to be grateful or contented or to agree with everything or like everything or you can't just order them to surrender and and anyone they can't really do you know you can say surrender but whether somebody actually can do it or not something else so that's up to to and this, so this is like the reflective practice to be aware of how things like do the vinaya how the rules of the vinaya affect you or uh, the this lifestyle in the monastery, the the head monk or the other monks or lay people is like to be aware of it. It's like this at this moment, because of course it changes. We have different, we feel differently at different times. But the point of this reflection is to encourage this this observing. <coughs> Uh, reflectiveness that, I, that you know is really butoh really awakened attention to the way it is and, and, and again I emphasize it's not critical not saying if you're feeling in a terrible mood and and full of anger and resentment that you shouldn't feel like that you know because if that's what you're feeling uh, at this present moment maybe not even the way you want to feel but that's the conditions in your karma have arisen to where this is what you're feeling. So the 
important thing is to be aware of it. And in this way, then you're seeing it as, uh, you know, as it really, as it, as, as it really is in the present. You know, you're feeling it. You're not knowing that it's like this. So, so like anger, for example, <clears throat> you know when you feel angry, don't you? I mean, we all know when I put something. I feel I have this mood, angry mood. I I know. I say, well, I'm angry. I feel angry. So there's a kind of knowing of it. You know, it's it's uh, you know it's a mood. It's very strong. Anger is one of the strong emotions. But then, but then, uh, even though you you know you're feeling angry, you, you're interpreting it always from. Uh, you know, a very personal way. It's my anger, or, it, or we blame it on somebody else or something else. So we, even though we know there's anger, we, we claim it as it's caused by somebody, it's, uh, it's mine, and uh, maybe we don't want to try to get rid of it, or we completely kind of get lost in it, and... and uh, proliferate on the on the uh, angry energy but the middle way the Majjima Bhattibhattha is the, the knower of it it's like this and apply that to <clears throat> I mean anger is easy to see uh, sexual lust is easy to observe you know you know when that kind of energy is present uh, so, so greed, lopa and dosa are, are quite easy to, you know, because they're strong energy. But so much of our life is spent around the moha level of uh, just feeling indifferent or bored or, you know, slightly anxious or worried. Mild cases of it, mild types of emotions, which, you know, are easy to, to, to just not notice because they, they aren't important enough they aren't strong enough to, to uh, you know be aware of but in this in this Lopa Dosa Moha sequence you know greed, hatred and delusion uh, these are the you know these these are categories of, of different uh, emotional reactions we have uh in, in this realm and as a human being and then of course uh, anger can be you know just being kind of just annoyed or irritated to you know murderous rage from you know, total commitment to, to violent act or, or just, uh, just being you know, fed up and irritated with, with something or somebody or even yourself. And then greed, of course, is different levels of, you know, it's not always sexual desire, but it's all, you know, wanting uh, sensual pleasures. And, and then we live a life of renunciation. So, so we can feel that we shouldn't want sensual pleasures. And, and then try to, you know, judge ourselves according to, you know, try to stop this uh, sensual uh, pleasure experience. 
but also it's uh, it's knowing it for what it is this attraction to pleasure through seeing hearing smelling tasting touching is like this so you know in Vedananu Sati's uh, on Vedana you're aware of the pull of the of, uh, of what is attractive and pleasing on a sensual level and then what is repulsive what is you know you don't like don't want but like uh, a super practices and things like that is, is kind of deliberate uh, willingness to uh, observe feelings of aversion and repulsion toward sense sense experiences This uh, and then the moha level is, I found just being kind of confused, the general emotional confusion or indifference or or kind of levels of boredom or mild forms of negativity that uh, that can you know so much of one's life tend to be ignored or or in a, in a busy life in an ordinary life there's so many distractions you know when you get bored or you know unhappy or whatever then you can you can distract yourself through through sensual indulgence or uh, sexual fantasy or television uh, telephone uh, or whatever you know there's so many possible interesting distractions now internet and there must be you know fantastic variety of entertaining interesting distractions just at the touch of of a finger on a keyboard there you may be worried or kind of bored and then you, you you don't bother to notice you just it just the habit is to seek something that's interesting or distracting from a kind of dreary so much of of life can be rather dreary it's neither exciting or interesting or horrible or miserable but it's it's just wearisome and boring and and dreary so so much of modern life is to to snap out of that by find something exciting, interesting and pleasing why do people go, go to uh, horror movies why do, you know, why do, why do people, horror movies are very popular nowadays they, they seem to be, be obsessed with vampire movies you know, so I think why, why is this sudden kind of fashion and fascination for vampires and and when they make these vampire movies they're very you know they're money makers and of course vampires are you know being scared is exciting isn't it being uh, frightened out of your wits (laughs) and uh, and kind of gore and blood and war sex and violence are excite the, the human mind Football, you know, why? Why is this a world obsession with football? Because it's exciting. You see these two teams uh, kicking a ball around the field. 
and then people get very excited and, and uh, you know they really get passionate <laughs> they're really passionate over you know Manchester United or something <laughs> and so <laughs> it's uh, you know what? What? What is it in, in? In why do we do that? You know, seeing seeing men kicking the ball around. What? You know, except that it is takes us out of the realm of boredom and maybe the dreariness of our life, you know, the weariness of existing and the unpleasant job we have, or maybe we we don't get along with the wife or something, and so you can find distraction through through these exciting events. And wars are always exciting, isn't it? Fighting and boxing and... <clears throat> so it's like contemplating excitement. What is exciting and romance, romantic uh, images, you know, it's a different uh, kind of emotion. And adventures, romance, adventure, excitement. And that, but when you really look at anyone's life, you know, any, you know, ours or lay people or anyone, it's really the moments of great romance, adventure, excitement are rare. Most of it's like this: this sleepiness, boredom, indifference, uh, dreary feelings, uh, just routine life getting up in the morning, putting on your clothes, going through your job, waiting for the bus. That's what most of life is really about, isn't it? That's, when you look at most of the moments of anyone's life, it's, it's just that kind of experience. The ordinary routine. But in monastic life, you know, we want to, you know, it is a, a boring lifestyle, so it it's, uh, it's deliberately constructed to, because it, in this way we have to pay attention to what we're feeling. You know, it's encouraging. It's like this, what I'm trying to do now is kind of encourage you to look at, at the way you're feeling. You know, if it's dreary or bored or disillusioned or, or critical or whatever, it's, it's to be the knower the way it is. It's like this. <clears throat> and then we, of course, then we, the, it's so easy to make a judgment, like, it, you know, to think we, you know, the, the, it's, it's wrong the way we're feeling, or it's not good enough, or we've got to do something about it. But this is where it, it's a real act of trust or faith in this awareness to be just, it's like this, and and just, you know, this kind of patient allowance of it to be what it is in the present without jumping in trying to change it, criticize it, or or blame it on somebody. There's also another, another way of just listening uh, to it. So you, you know, like, like, um, my background is we we were you know we tend to complain about things every you know life that you're brought up to complain 
and then I was in the Navy for four years and there was four years of relentless unmitigated complaining so uh, in the Navy and even when everything was okay people still complained so, so you know and, and then of course in the military there's always you know, it's it's not a particularly li- a lifestyle that that you can love totally. There's a lot to complain about, but even when there isn't, the habit of complaining, grumbling, is uh, be- it becomes addictive. So even when when life is uh, isn't it's going quite well, then we still tend to there's still a tendency to complain about it in some way or another. So, because this was uh, such a strong habit, you know, when I first came to live in uh, with Lung Po Cha, you know, the complaining mind would take over. And why did they have to do it like this? Oh, grumble, grumble. And fortunately, you know, nobody could speak English and I couldn't speak the language, so I didn't, at least I didn't complain to others. And, and when I did, then I'd get called in front of Ajahn Chah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so I, 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 you know, I, but I was grumbling internally. I started listening to it. Listening to this, this kind of, and I realized it was a, just a habit of grumbling. And, uh, and so it, it just went on, you know, because that's, habits are like that, you know, they, you just, develop these habits and then they they kind of take you over and and, and they come up you know no matter what because they're that's what habits do so uh, you know then the ideal bhikkhu image was one who's content and grateful not one who complains so then then trying to make myself content uh, through you know, through an act of will, couldn't do that either. Couldn't, couldn't just pretend I'm contented. Or I'd feel I should be, and then feel worthless that I'm not very good bhikkhu because I'm, I'm not content or grateful. I just grumble and complain. Or then this bhutto practice of listening, paying attention to it, the discontentment listen to to discontentment rather than trying to just get rid of it or go along with it or feel guilty about it listen to grumbling, internal grumbling complaining, whinging that goes on is like this and then you then you begin to to get this sense of this which is aware of the aramana or the object is this is this is aware this is intelligent awareness this is pure this is uh, refuge and the object then is seen uh, you know rather in terms of pers- personalizing it and, and and judging it but seeing that in terms of all sankaras are impermanent and non-self so it really, it is a, it's a continuous determination to use just the 
conditions of the present moment for this developing this this practice integrating it into your life because it is not necessary to have everything you know to be sitting for a long period of time but it it's so much of you know life is about walking and standing and and washing your bowl putting on your robes going on the arms round walking back to Kuti uh, washing the robes and the daily routine of a monk uh, in which you know we can listen we use everything you know the here and now Dhamma as a way of listening to the way it is and then this discerning ability that which is aware of the way it is of the condition that is operating now is that which is aware of that condition is not a condition it it does it doesn't complain it doesn't criticize but it certainly discerns it because like anger you know there's anger discerns it recognize anger and so that is like mindfulness that's Bhutto Tamo Sankho Buddha Dhamma Sangha so you you know it's Buddha that knows Dhamma so we 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 take refuge in Buddha rather than in our own particular views and opinions and personal uh, habits Knowing Dhamma then is is knowing, or you know, uh, not through attachment to the idea of all conditions are impermanent, but by observing impermanence, being the knower of impermanence, not someone who attaches to the idea of impermanence. That's we tend to do that easily. You see that a lot. You know, everything's impermanent, so you know, everything ceases and. You know, then we think we've we've got it all down, and it's just we're we're, we're just quoting from the text or what our own opinion, and it's right, and everything is impermanent. But the point is the grasping of the word. To see, it's not about grasping the idea of impermanence, but observing this direct, insightful knowing of impermanence means that you actually can be aware of everything you know of the good qualities the bad ones the boring ones the exciting ones the dreary ones they're all grist for the mill it's all path knowledge by seeing by knowing them as they really are And then, you know, in my own practice, I reached a point where, you know, really, you know, I really, this powerful sense of knowing, and and then, uh, but still the habit tendencies would would operate. And there was a kind of hoping that the more mindful I was, uh, the, all these the irritating habits I have would disappear. <laughs> so there was also, uh, you know, a wish to get rid of them, or not, you know, the, this kind of wanting not to have bad habits, irritating habits, is another 
object in consciousness, you know, not wanting and hoping that by practicing like this they'll go away. So, you know, then this continuous reminder of there's only the here and now, there's not, there's no past or future. Uh, the illusion of a past and and the illusion of future is arising in the present. So you can, you know, you you observe how you you're looking forward to something in the future, or or this idea of the future is it's beginning to become an object in the in the present moment rather than uh, just taken for granted and operating with always living now and doing something to get something you desire in the future. So anatta then is when there's pure awareness there's no self. You know, you can't claim my personality can't claim anything. I mean it can claim all kinds of things. I don't believe it. Personality is never going to get enlightened. So, you know, when you think, you know, you go around judging Kuba Ajahn, who's enlightened and who isn't, because maybe maybe you don't like their personalities. So you think he couldn't be enlightened, he's got a rotten personality. <laughs> it really, the personality, uh, you know, it doesn't get enlightened. So it, it's, uh, we all have to, you know, we manifest through, you know, these personalities that we do have. <coughs> but the, um, so each, uh, Kuba John, every monk has a, you know, it's different. They're not, you don't get a, an Arahant personality, you know, where they're just a state of bliss and saintly all the time. But, uh, you know, we can imagine an Arahant personality, but you know that doesn't make sense because its personality is is a condition. It's karma, and then we relate. You know, like Ajahn Chah had a very kind of charming personality and ebullient and kind of outgoing and and radiant. And then Lumpur Liam is is very different. You know, he doesn't even look at you most of the time. But different personality, you know, then, uh, and then people judge, you know, they used to compare Lumpur Liam with Ajahn Chah, and they, oh, he's not like Ajahn Chah, <laughs> and uh, because they, you know, they, they had this idea that to be enlightened you had to be like Ajahn Chah, then there's Lung Tapu, it's a very different personality, and all these others, so, you know, the conceit of, you know, because I like this monk and I don't like that one, that I'm, you know, I'm the judge of their, of their insight is a, is a really, you know, really look at it, it's a very conceited position to take, that, that I'm, you know, I'm the, I know who's enlightened and who isn't, is, uh, is, uh, you know, when, when you look at that in yourself, you don't, it sounds awful when you hear yourself thinking like that. And then, uh, uh, 
the the oputo practice is that the the personality then is doesn't mean you don't have any personality, but you're no longer uh, operating from from that illusion. You know, it's no longer. Uh, you know, when we're unenlightened, when we're not aware, then we operate on a very personal level with everything. Everything's personalized, and 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 of course, we have to live our lives in this form for a lifetime with this body and this and these uh, habits that one has acquired, conditioned, you know, so we, and each one of us is, you know, has different karmic tendencies, different problems, different emotional hang-ups and tendencies and hopes and expectations, fears and, and that. So that, that on that level, there's, you know, there's very little possible chance of us all becoming exactly, you know, one kind of ideal mark. But that's the point of the Vinaya, is that it, it, it's not about, uh, you know, trying to become uh, a good monk through, through keeping rules and, and being celibate, but it's it's about an agreement on how to live with each other. So we can have this occasion to observe the Vipaka Kama that we're experiencing in the present. It's like this. Now in your lives also, you're going to have to go through all kinds of uh, successes and failures. And uh, that's just a part of life. You know, so in in um, monastic life doesn't get you out of that, uh, but it but it does give you it's a it does help you to observe praise and blame, success and failure, and good health and bad health, and happiness and suffering. You know, so it's not to be, you know, we're not to to grasp these conventions uh, uh, in a, some kind of personal way but to use them for mindfulness reflection and then to the, you know the way we can actually live together as Sangha because Sangha always implies a group doesn't it it's not an individual it's not a hermit you don't take refuge in in, in, in you know in a hermetic lifestyle it's the third refuge is always Sangha, which implies a group of people. So then, uh, and so, you know, we have to live with each other, uh, and then we, you know, we react to each other emotionally and and that. But then the point of it all is, is that our, we're observing that, being the knower of the world rather than the worldly person trying to to make the world fit an ideal that might be very beautiful but would be an impossibility you know I can imagine a world that is extremely beautiful but um, that's not the way life has ever been I could imagine perfect monasteries and so uh, you know, how I'd like a monastery to be a, a really perfect 
Thai forest tradition monastery, I can imagine it, but I've never been able to make it manifest. <laughs> so, so this is where it's it, uh, you know the, wherever whatever monastery you go to, you're going to find you know something you know irritating, frustrating, or unpleasant about it, uh, and some things you like, some things you don't like. But but the the issue is really of being aware of that. And after my first pansa with Lung Po Cha at Wat Pa Pong, I didn't particularly like uh, living in in the community. So I finally got permission to go off to Dong because uh, I had this idea of wanting to. To live like a hermit. So I, at first, Nanjing Chao wouldn't wouldn't let me go, and then I thought he's just trying to hang on to me, you know, just just trying to control me, you know, <laughs> trying to control me. Power, you know, he's after power. You know, he wants to to keep this prop around as a power symbol. You know, that I've got control over this big clumsy American bloke. Lung Po Cha never said that. <laughs> and that's how the mind can work, you know. And then finally, uh, he did give in and let me go. And it was very amusing because I obviously didn't want me to, to go, but he did it very graciously. And then the day I was to leave, um, I was going to go uh, up to Nong Kai where I ordained and then to Sukhul Nakorn province where I had this place all set up up in the Pupan range Pupek mountain and so anyway uh, Ajahn Chah took me to the Warren train station along with a whole uh, truckload of other monks from Wat Bapong and uh, they put me on the train and then Lung Chah said very you know, come back for the pansa, and I said, yeah, probably I didn't commit myself, <laughs> and so I, and I had this vision as I was pulling out of the Warren train station. I was there, and there the pochal was standing, and all the monks they were going like this, smiling at me. So I had that last image of leaving Warren with these wonderful monks waving goodbye for, you know, in the monastic place. <laughs> and so then I went to Pupek Mountain for six months. And I was expecting, you know, bliss and happiness. And it was quite a beautiful place. And, and, uh, and then there were two Thai monks with me. At, uh, on top of this mountain, it was—it's the highest peak in the Pupan mountain range uh, that goes across Circle Nakorn, and it had—it used to be a Khmer uh, Angkor Wat period type jetty or something. The ruins of it are still there. So I was there, and uh, the Bidnabot was very arduous. You had to leave at dawn and go down this you know this mountain which is quite a distance and wait at this reservoir in a little tin uh, 
pot for the villagers to come and they they bring food and put it on boats. Then we'd have to climb back up the mountain. So we'd get there just in time to eat the meal before noon. And uh, so from dawn until, you know, about 11, 11.30, you were just going bindabar and waiting for for this food and then uh, I mean they climb back up and uh, and then the, the, somebody put a sign halfway up this mountain you know somebody uh, put a sign in English saying to do good is the same as climbing this mountain <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is about halfway up the mountain and I well, that's true I mean really <laughs> <laughs> Halfway up, you're pretty tired. And you haven't had anything to eat yet. Do so. <laughs> good is the same as climbing this mountain. Yeah, that's true. You know, do good is that's take a little more effort than just to not bother doing anything. So, anyway, during that time, everything horrible that you can imagine happened to me. Uh, I was arrested by the police. Taken into the district because they thought I was a communist, <laughs> and then uh, and we had a terrible storm that blew, nearly blew my cootie off the cliff, yeah. and and the kitchen, which was across from my cootie, that kitchen was blown right into my cootie, <laughs> wild, you know, like almost hurricane uh, whirlwind. Hmm. And then, uh, then I became obsessed with aversion towards one of these Thai monks. And uh, not that he ever did anything to deserve it, it just became totally obsessed with, and I couldn't get rid of this hatred for this monk. And, and fortunately, he, he would come and go. He wasn't there all the time. But, you know, I was expecting peace and happiness. Instead, I was just fulminating with this stupid emotion, you know, because he hadn't done anything. Where did it come from, you know? Except that somehow anger and, and resentment was kind of fixed on this one monk. And then, uh, and then I uh, got very sick had terrible fever and they had to to take me down the village men came up and had to carry me down this mountain to this tin shelter but in the hot season and and I was so miserable I couldn't you know just couldn't eat and the food was very kind of really coarse you know bunnot type food and and then this little shed it was hot season the sun would come blazing down on this tin roof and I'd be laying there you know totally I'm feeling terribly sorry for myself and all these insects calling in all you know the eyes and the ears and these little what do you call it? what? <laughs> what <do you> mean? <laughs> and so uh, and then I'd hear airplanes flying overhead and I kept thinking, I'm going to die here. I'm, I'm, I'm dying, and and I've wasted my life, you know. And then 
I can think of that plane, you know, it's going somewhere. I could go back to the States. I could get out of here. But I didn't even have the energy to do that. And then one of my friends, we were in the Peace Corps together, was uh, teaching English up in uh, Laos in Vietnam. Oh, he's got a nice flat and his own car, making money. And here I am, you know, a skeleton with all these insects crawling in and out of my orifices, sick, lonely. And then... uh, and then uh, they brought in a doctor who came in on horseback. There were no roads in. So he gave me some kind of injection. But then as I was lying there, one one morning, I, I just, an inner voice, I heard this thing within me say, sit up and practice Anapanasati. So he had been lying there, I'm so sick. And... and lonely and feeling sorry for myself so I sat up and I started just doing Anapanasati and uh, within a few days I was alright so (laughs) so that impressed me because I did learn you know you could see I had to go through all these miserable states and, and really suffer from them in order to see what I was actually doing, you know, so... Because I couldn't do Anapanasati before, even though I, I should do it, but I'm just so weak. You know, I can't even be mindful of my breath, and what's the point of it anyway, and then, and then you're... And then there's something in me that said, you know, shut up and practice, so I did. And then that, from that point on, it was, you know, I... I went back up to live in the top of the mountain and uh, and it was getting near Vasa, Pansa and my robes were in tatters and uh, and I thought and then I had this image of Lumpur Cha and the monk standing in this morning train station and I just couldn't get back to what my poem fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and then they didn't have a kuti for me. So they put me in one of the little sala. They had the, the first sala they ever built there. It was called the little sala, and, and so here I was in a little sala with about three or four other Thai monks. And they said, "I don't know if we have a kuti. You'll probably have to stay here." And at that time, I didn't care. I was just happy to get back and. But, you know, just uh, to, um, you know, I did learn, you know, all my efforts, you know, this sense of me trying to make things happen and me, you know, it was all that, that whole six months was just a kind of obsession with myself and my ideals of what I wanted. And, And that six months was probably the worst six months of my monastic life. <laughs> so when when I went back to Wat Bapong, I was uh, more appreciative of of Lumpacha and and the whole lifestyle that we lived there. And so this is this is an example of of you know willing to learn from suffering. 
And don't, 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 you know, I found also attitude of wanting to, you know, there's such a strong resistance to suffering or, or wanting to get rid of suffering that uh, I developed practice about welcoming suffering because it's a kind of like a upaya where you know I, I just want bliss and happiness and then and then then uh, as you probably experience it being jawa uh, uh, there's so much demand on you you know people are well, we've got to do this and then we've got to go there and then they're having this meeting and then this and that and then oh no not another not another thing no god no, no not another complaint no and then welcome <laughs> complain all you want <laughs> and I found I found that helpful way of, of of dealing with it you know with my own tendency to to uh, not want that you know to want something that 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 you know where I feel safe and secure and everything's going well and uh, but sometimes that that happens sometimes it doesn't but also uh, this realm is like this it's a it's an irritating frustrating experience from birth to death so it's never going to be really what you want but it's always always going to be the way it is <laughs> 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 